Okay, welcome to the third Sunday of the year 2024. 28,810 minutes down, 496,790 minutes still to go. So there's plenty of time, brothers and sisters, to make this year your best year ever. To make this year the year that you live out the life you're created to live like never before. Amen? Now last Sunday we jumped back into our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew, the King and his kingdom. And, and, and what a great study it's been. I mean, for 67 weeks, we have plunged the depths for the words of the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew, formerly known as Levi, the ex-tax collector, to put down on paper. Our text this morning is Matthew 11, 28 through 30. A text I'm sure that most of us in this room are, are very familiar with. You've heard before. And these are some of the most powerful, compelling, and comforting words that Jesus ever spoke. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Like I said, incredible words, uh, the greatest invitation ever given, and I got to tell you, diving deep into this text this week was a whole lot of fun, it was quite the journey, and I'm really excited to share that journey with you. Before we dive into that journey, the great invitation, a sidebar, an announcement, and a take two. Here's a sidebar. Uh, A couple weeks, a couple months back after church, someone came up to me and asked me, why do you have a massive rock in front of the church? And I told her, you know what? I'm going to remind people about that in the coming weeks. And it may, not, it may come as a surprise to you. I absolutely forgot to do that. <laughs> so here we are. So why is there a huge rock sitting on the floor? Have you ever noticed it? Have you ever seen it? Now, this rock weighs about 700 pounds. And there's four guys and a handcart that gave its life to bring it in here so it's not going anywhere. (laughs) It's been sitting there since October of 2010 uh, when I I gave a message from 1 Peter chapter 2 about how as a church Jesus is our cornerstone. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 6, for it says in scripture, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious stone, cornerstone and the one who trusts in him the one entrusted in him will never be put to shame. And now in ancient buildings, cornerstones were huge, about seven feet by 14 feet. And they were usually, you know, the first stone laid. Today they're kind of just stuck in there symbolically when everything is done. But in the first century, cornerstones were part of the foundation. And from the cornerstone, that's where the building got its direction, its angles were determined from the cornerstone. So everything depended on and rested on the cornerstone. Well, in October 2010, we declared as a church that Jesus is our cornerstone, and therefore Jesus must determine, must determine the direction and angles for us as individuals and for us as a church. I understand for the Jesus follower in the church, everything rests on Jesus. 
How we spend our money and how we spend our time. What we give to and what we live for. What we do and what we don't do. Where we go and where we don't go. How we respond to those who hurt us. Our view of sex, sexuality, gender, life in the womb, and race. Uh, The kind of students and employees that we are. and, And how we treat our spouse, our parents, our kids, our friends, our boss, our employees, and even our enemies. You see, as a Jesus follower, whether or not we turn the other cheek, go the second mile, give up the spare coat, live without anger, forgive those who hurt us, overlook an offense, pray for those who persecute us, fight to save our marriage, serve with reckless abandon, give our time and money to his church, see the beauty and potential and even the worst of sinners no longer rest on us. And set it all rests on Jesus, our cornerstone. Get it? Good. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him, someone say, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Okay, sidebar over. That's why that rock is there. And someday, I was thinking today, someday when I get, get rid of this ugly carpet, what are we going to do? Do we have to work around it? Like, I don't know. Anyhow, uh, that's for another day. All right, now, now the important announcement. Um, coming up on February the 2nd and 3rd, uh, we're having our very first Rediscovering Discipleship, making Jesus' final words. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I commanded you. We're making Jesus' final words our first work. And again, this is on a Friday night and a Saturday, about from 6.30 to 9 o'clock on Friday night, and then from about 9 to approximately 3 on that Saturday. And this is a first step in Maple Grove becoming a church of disciples who makes disciples. We'll watch some videos have some roundtable discussions, and get the conversation going. Now, to become a church of disciples who make disciples, it's not going to be easy. It won't happen overnight. Because the enemy does not want us to be a church of fully devoted followers of Jesus who make other people fully devoted followers of Jesus. You see, he's okay with a large number of, of Christians falling into a building on Sunday, singing songs, nodding their heads. But he's terrified of committed disciples who are intent on expanding the kingdom of God in the world that he so loves. You can sign up online, or you can sign up right now at 434-284-1057. The second and third, there's a comma there. Yeah, the second and third. And And again, this is to get the conversation going. And and I'm excited about it. You know, making Jesus' final words our first work. I think he's pleased with that direction. Um, At this time, those gathered in this room will take two to say hi to those around them. Thank you very much. (laughs) Amen. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to be in your house. Thank you for your word that is living and active. And God, I I pray that uh, we all will have ears to hear what you have to say this morning. Uh, Help me 
to speak this truth in a way that brings you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, our text this morning is Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now this week, like every other week in our verse-by-verse study in the Matthew, found me discovering once again that there's so much more depth and power and beauty in these words than I've ever seen before. Again, Matthew 11, 28 to 30 is very familiar to me. I, I've quoted it often, read it often, quoted it to myself and to others often. But what I discovered this week is that in all these years of reading it and quoting it, I, for the most part, missed much of the death, power, beauty, and meaning of these three verses. And number one, because I have never seen these verses within their context. And number two, because I failed to understand just how jaw-dropping and shocking these words were to those who first heard them 2,000 years ago. Now, before this week, whenever I quoted this verse or referred to it, to these incredible words of Jesus, coming to him when I'm weary and worn out and him giving me rest, I almost exclusively applied it to Jesus giving me comfort and rest for the burdens, trials, hardships, and difficulties of life that can and often do weary our hearts, mind, and soul. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Jesus does all that. Jesus does give us comfort and rest when we come to him with those kind of burdens. After all, Scripture teaches us in Psalm 38, verse 18, the Lord is close. Someone say, the Lord is close. close. To the brokenhearted. Okay, that was good. good. You're all ready to go. You're reared up. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. When he saw the crowds, Matthew writes of Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus said in in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And Peter, the, the fiery Galilean fisherman, said, told us, cast all your anxiety on him. Got any anxiety this morning? Because he cares for you. And, and, and Paul put the paper, these words, to the church in Corinth in his second letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort any trouble others with the comfort we have received from God. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Yes, Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. Yes, Jesus saves those who are crushed in spirit. Yes, Jesus has compassion on us when we are harassed and helpless. Yes, Jesus gives us peace in a world of trouble. Yes, Jesus cares about us and wants us to cast our anxiety on him. And yes, Jesus is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. But remember, this week it became very clear to me that this is not the rest or the kind of burden that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 11. 28 through 30. Instead, Jesus is talking about a, a, a much greater burden 
and an even greater rest. Like I said before, diving deep into this study of Matthew has shown me things that have always been there, but I kind of missed because I didn't quite dive down deep enough into what was going on. Okay, here's how I want to attack our text. There's three points in your notes. And, and, and every week I, I, I pass out a very detailed outline. Why do I do this? Because I got, a, I got some stock in paper and I'm wanting to make extra, no. Uh, why do I, I do this? Because, you know, to help you follow along, pay attention, right? And, and, and to give you something to look back on. You know, because I, I usually give a lot of information. Maybe if you, I don't know if you noticed that. And, and this is, you take back and you look at it. You, I'll either put this whole scripture or the scripture reference. And you can go back and go, hey, Steve, you know what? What you're saying doesn't make sense. It's not biblical. Can we talk about it? But, you know, I, I, I do a detail every week. And, and the three points in your note are context, remez, and terms. Come to me and take and learn. Okay, let's talk about the context. And when it comes to understanding Scripture, context is what? Context is king. So what is the context of Hebrews 11, 28 through 30? Now remember we said last week that for the first 10 verses, first 10 chapters of his gospel, Matthew is making the case that, that Jesus is the one true, one true king, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, their Messiah, that he is God's son whom God loves and is well pleased with, Matthew chapter 1 through 3. Matthew tells us that Jesus is the one who, who spoke with authority, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. You have heard it said, but I say to you, who, whoever hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And Matthew tells us that Jesus is the one who has absolute authority over all things. As Matthew records Jesus defeating the evil one in the wilderness, Matthew 4, and as it records Jesus casting out demons, common storms, cleansing lepers, healing the sick, raising the dead, forgiving sins, Matthew chapter 8 and 9. And that he's the one who demands that we love him more than anyone. Even the closest members of our family, more than we love our Spouse, more than we love our kids, more than we love our parents. And he's the one who will declare on the day of judgment who God acknowledges and who God disowns. Matthew chapter 10. Yes, for 10 chapters, Matthew's like, hey, here is who Jesus is. And then in Matthew's chapter 11 and 12, we see Matthew recording for us the various responses that the Jewish people and religious leaders had to the person and message of Jesus. Yes, some did receive him and believe in his name and find life, but most, like most today, did not. And instead, they rejected it for various reasons. We saw a couple of those reasons last week, right? Uh, now, some rejected Jesus back then and the day as well because they're like, critical children or childless consumers who do not come to Jesus because Jesus is not doing or saying what they want. Hey, hey Jesus, we, we played a tune for you. Jesus, teach this. 
uh, Jesus say this, but Jesus, you did not dance. As I said last week, Jesus will never bend his grace and truth to the tune of our wants and desires. Get it? Good. And, and then some rejected Jesus just because they're, they're indifferent. It's like they felt they had more important things to do or, or they rejected him because of pride. Like they didn't really feel that they needed Jesus. They didn't really feel they needed to repent. And listen, right before our text, Jesus pronounces a judgment on three cities that, that even though they saw all of his miracles more than any other, heard all of his teachings, they still refused to repent. And here's what he said to them. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. Someone say no. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were formed in you had been formed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. And remember, from this we learned last week that the greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. The greater the light, the greater the punishment for not receiving that light. And the greater the exposure to the truth of the gospel the greater their condemnation for rejecting that gospel. Now, I understand the great irony, irony, as I shared last week, is that most people don't come to Jesus, and not because of their evil and sin. Instead, it's because of their own perceived moral goodness. Yes, most people today, especially in our culture, don't come to Jesus because they think they're wicked and undeserving, it's quite the opposite. It's because they think they're good and don't need him. I'm a good person. I'm better than most. People like me. People respect me. I'm a hard worker. I love my family. I coach T-ball. I I recycle. I eat gluten-free. I shop at Whole Foods, right? Whatever. Again, context is king. And yesterday, I did a little drawing, which I'm really good at, you can tell. That's like this, it took me 10 times to get that. So you're like, really? Really, 10 times? And to help us kind of understand the context, right? So here, and it's in your notes too. So here sits you know, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And the things happening before it, we got the first 10 chapters. Hey, this is who Jesus is. And then in chapter 11, we begin to have some of the responses of Jesus. Like John the Baptist, he has some doubt and discouragement, right? Because things weren't working out the way he thought they should. And Jesus said, you know what, John? I'm doing exactly what the Messiah should be doing. I am the one. And, and, and then in 11, 16 through 24, like we saw last week, we see people rejecting him, refusing to repent, and him pronouncing judgment on them. And, and, and then in Chapter 11, 25 through 27 that we saw last week, we have Jesus saying that I'm God's son and no one knows the Father except me. Pretty bold statement, right? If you want to know what God is like, you look at me or those to whom I choose to reveal the Father to. Remember I said last week, that's not an individual person, it's a type of person. God chooses to reveal himself to the, remember, to the humble, okay? So that's coming before our text, right? It's about Judgment, it's about rejecting him. It's about not receiving the salvation he wants to give them. And then when you go to chapter 12, the first 14 verses, 
Jesus is taking on the religious leaders and doing things like breaking all their rules. And it's making them upset. Healing on the Sabbath, all this kind of stuff. And Jesus actually says in these chapters, which we're, that's coming next week, he says, yeah, hey, you know what? I'm greater than the temple. Whoa, that'll get you fired up, won't they? And he says, you know, you're making the Sabbath a burden for people. I want you to know that I am Lord of the Sabbath, you know. And, and, uh, and, and then, uh, like verse 14, they decide, hey, we need to kill this dude, right? Okay. And, and so that's the context. Nothing at all in this context about hardships and difficulties and trials, right? That's not, that's not what's going on, okay? That's the context. Okay, now, now let's talk about remez. It's a Hebrew word that means hint. And whenever a rabbi was teaching, because Hebrew scripture was the foundation of everything, they would engage in remez. And, and here's the definition of it, okay? Remez is a practice of mentioning a key word or phrase that would hint at a passage from the Hebrew scriptures with the assumption that the audience would know its broader meaning and context and then import that context into the current teaching moment. So you mention a key word or phrase, and those who are listening go, oh, I know where that's coming from. I know where he said that. And then they drag the context from that back into the present moment. It's kind of like if I say the following to you. For God so loved the world. Or I say, the Lord is my shepherd. Or I say, I pledge allegiance to the flag. Or I say, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Without me saying the rest... Your mind automatically goes to the rest. That's Ramez. By the way, anytime you mention a movie line in a conversation to get people to laugh, you're an agent in Ramez. Because you expect them to know the reference, bring it to the present moment, and laugh even more at what you said. You sit on the throne of lies. <laughs> Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. I'll be back. What we have here is a failure to communicate. Are you not entertained? Life is like a box of chocolates. Baby Grove, that's Remez. And Remez is everywhere in what Jesus is saying in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And listen, every hint of Remez, every connection that Jesus makes to Hebrew scriptures in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, He's making a direct claim that he is God's son, the promised Messiah. Okay, here's the deal. You know, Jesus is a master teacher. And he knows that whenever people gather to hear a rabbi, he knows that they're always looking for the echo. You know, they're always looking for the remez. They're always looking for the connection that that rabbi is making to other Hebrew scripture. Again, scripture they knew so well that was a foundation of everything. And Jesus does not disappoint them. Okay, so let's start at the top. Jesus says, come to me. Like, are there any Old Testament passages where we see the echo of this kind of invitation? Yes, there are. Listen, one passage that everyone listening to Jesus that day would hear the echo of is from Isaiah chapter 55. Come to me, um, excuse me, uh, come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and, and you who have no money, come. 
buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you'll delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Someone say, give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. And let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Again, this is from Isaiah 55. At a time when, when God's people are really struggling. I mean, they had... A couple hundred years of civil war in the, in the northern kingdom had just been wiped out by Assyria because of their sins and turning their backs on God and worshiping idols. I mean, so the people here, they're trying to get their feet back underneath them. But they keep running into challenges. Isaiah records the very words of God, and God is saying to his people, I want you to come to me. Don't go anywhere else. Don't go to anyone else. I want you to come to me. I understand, when Jesus says, come to me, and the rest of the context of what he says in Matthew eleven twenty 20 through 30, and how it fits so perfectly with the context of Isaiah 55, 1 and 3, Jesus is doing what no rabbi would ever do. Quote the very words of God as his own. Come to me. And, and then he says, and all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And the people listen will go, hey, wait a minute. There's something about God giving us rest in Exodus chapter 33. And now this passage in Exodus 33 it takes place a few months after they were delivered out of Egyptian bondage. And here's what we read. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. Uh, you said, I, I know you by name and you found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. Someone say, teach me your ways. So I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: 28. Come to me, and I will give you rest. And now for the second time, Jesus done something no rabbi would ever do. He's quoted God's words as his own. And the context here is talking about God's presence being with Moses and the people and God says, in so doing, when you do that, when you have my presence, I'll give you rest. And listen, Jesus here is not only making God's word his own. Jesus is saying, I am the presence of God. I am the one who will give you rest. And by the way, there's a messianic prophecy in Genesis 49, 10, where 
The Messiah is referred to as Shiloh, a word that means rest bringer. Come to me, all you're weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. And again, the jaws of everyone is on the ground. As this 30-year-old guy opens up his arms, spreading them out to receive the entire human race. What an audacious claim that is if he wasn't who he said he was. And then Jesus continues, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And those listening will go, hey, wait a second, is there anybody in the Bible that was like super really humble? And they go, yeah, there was. Moses. And in Numbers 12, 3. Now Moses was not just humble, he was very humble. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And, and listen, when it, when it comes to Moses, people in Jesus' day were looking forward to a, the fulfillment of a prophecy that was spoke in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. And now this prophecy of Deuteronomy takes place right before God's people are about to enter the promised land. And listen, this is brand new information about the Messiah that no one had heard before. Before this moment in Deuteronomy verse 18. And so Moses is speaking, and he says to the people, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And two verses later, the Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I commanded him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Okay, so a, a second Moses is coming who's going to lead a new exodus like Moses led the first exodus. And remember, believe me when I tell you, the people sitting around Jesus that day, that they were, they were looking to and longing for the coming of the second Moses and this new exodus. I mean, they're living under Roman oppression. And for 1,400 years, they've been waiting, 1,400 years, they've been waiting for God to send and reveal the second Moses. And they know that God is going to put his words in his mouth and and know this prophet is the Messiah. And they know that they better listen to him. Understand, Jesus is saying in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, I am the second Moses. I am the Messiah. And I'm leading a new exodus out of a greater bondage in Egypt. My words are true, listen to me. And their drawls drop even more and their heads spin around even more. And then Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And again, you have to ask yourself this question. Is there a remez? It, 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 like, is Jesus taking us back to another passage in Hebrew Scripture? And, and those listening who knew Hebrew Scripture would, would hear, and I will give you rest for your souls, and they're going, this is Jeremiah. And think about Jeremiah 6, verse 16, where God spoke to his people. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. 
Understand, the days of Jeremiah were difficult days. Thousands of people have been taken into exile, and pretty soon the full force of the Babylonian army would descend on Jerusalem and lay siege. False prophets were everywhere, confusing the people, telling whatever they wanted to hear. And God is saying through Jeremiah, listen, if you're trying to figure out what's the right thing to do, ask. Ask for the right path. Ask for the correct path. Look at the ancient way of Scripture and walk in it. And if you do, you'll find rest for your souls. Understand what Jesus is saying to his people listening that day. He is saying, I am the ancient path. And if you take my yoke upon you, and if you learn from me, you will find rest for your souls. And did you notice the end of Jeremiah 6.16? But you said, we will not walk in it. And by the way, they didn't. <laughs> and they suffered greatly for it at the hands of Babylon. This is where, again, you see the brilliance of Jesus being played out. Because Matthew 11, 28-30, as a context we've already mentioned of the Jewish people and religious leaders even after seeing all the miracles and hearing all of his teaching, refusing to repent and accept him for who he is. And so when it comes to Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, and Jesus said, and you'll find rest for your souls, and you go back to Jeremiah, you realize that the people's response back then was not to walk in it. And so Jesus is asking those gathered, so is that going to be you? Is that going to be you? Are you going to refuse to walk in my ways too? Refuse to walk in my teaching? Or are you going to take my yoke upon you and learn from me? Understand, in Matthew 11, 28-30, the Ramez, the echo is loud and clear. Jesus is saying, I am the ancient path. I am the second Moses. I am the presence of God who can give you rest. I am the one who gives you the invitation to come to me. I know that's a lot of stuff, but it's important stuff. And if it's new stuff to you, it's new stuff to me. I'm learning so much new stuff in this study, but it's all true. That's the context. And the Ramez, now a few terms. Jesus says, take my what upon you? Take my, my yoke. And what is a yoke? It's not the favorite part of, my, of the egg, nice and runny, right? I like it. Done but not snotty, over easy but not snotty is what I say when I go to a restaurant. I want it over easy but not snotty, right? It's hard to do sometimes, but I like it runny. Nothing like a runny yolk over your steak and hash browns, right? That's, sorry. <laughs> I digress. I digress. But that's not that a yolk. Here's the yolk, right? Right there is the yolk, right? And put it on two animals. They share the load, carry a load, the plow field. And by the way, what if... This guy decided to go this way, and that guy decided to go that way. Would it, how would it work? What, what would that field look they're plowing? Would it, look, it wouldn't look so good. You know, and, and that's why Paul tells us, right? Do not be yoked with what? Unbelievers, right? Uh, when a believer gets yoked, you know, sometimes marrying an unbeliever, it's kind of hard because you're going in different directions. And Paul says, hey, that, if you do that, it's going to be hard. That was extra. But back in the Jesus' day, when someone became a disciple of a rabbi, they were said to be yoked to the teaching and to the 
lifestyle of that rabbi. They're under the yoke of that rabbi. They're under his teaching. They're, they're under his lifestyle. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he, he's saying, hey, I, I want you to take my teaching and my ways and my lifestyle upon you. Another word, term we want to look at is burdens. And already from the context, it's clear he's not talking about the burdens of everyday life. He's talking about the burden of sin that weighs us down and separates from God. Understand, there's no more crushing burden to the human soul than guilt and shame and sin and, and trying to make ourselves right with God by our own human effort. Now, the Greek word that Jesus used for burden here is only used one other time in Scripture. Luke 11, verse 46, where Jesus says, talking to the religious leaders, and you experts of the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they cannot hardly carry. Like, you make up all these rules about how to wash their hands, what you can do on the Sabbath, what you can't do on the Sabbath. Actually, I heard someone on the radio talking about, is a Jewish dude, and he was talking about, like, he has to make sure he sets his thermostat before the Sabbath comes, because if it gets cold in his house, he can't, like, turn the heat on in his thermostat any higher. I'm thinking, like, is that really what God was talking about? I, I don't think so. But they had rules about how you wash your hands, the proper way to wash your hands. If you go to wash your hands before you, what about washing your feet? And, and when you wash your hands, do you let it drip this way, or do you let it drip this way? Just all these burdens. All these things had to do to be right with God. And you yourselves, he says, will not lift a finger to help them. One final term, the term rest. Oftentimes in scriptures, it's synonymous with salvation. Okay, next point. And these, these next two will go real quick. But buckle up, they're really good. Really important. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me. The second Moses, come to me, the ancient path. Come to me, the presence of God. Come to me, the one who has seen the Father. Come to me, your Messiah. I understand, Jesus, this is not an invitation to a religion. It's an invitation to a relationship. Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened with sin and guilt and failure and shame. Come to me, all who are carrying this burden of trying to measure up, of trying to be good enough. Come to me, all those who are trying to do the right thing in order to be right with God. Come to me, all who know the right thing to do, but don't do it. Come to me, all who know what they shouldn't do, but do it anyway. I understand, every time these people failed to keep God's commands, the burden got heavier and heavier. And on top of that, the religious leaders, again, piled up rules and rules on them. We can never do this. It's too much. I'll never be good enough. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Yes, even you, Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida, who've seen so much, heard so much, and, and refuse to repent, even you also, you may have given up on me, but I haven't given up on you. Come to me. You still can come to me, and I'll give you rest. Literally, in the Greek, it reads, come to me and I will rest you. <laughs> I will rest you. I will salvation you. I will grace you. I will mercy you. It's a gift. And it's got to be a gift. Because you can never do it on your own. 
You said, that's, you said, that's why I came. That's who I am. That's what I'm about. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened with their sin and their failure and their shame and their guilt, and I'll give you rest. I'll rest you. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourself. It's a gift of God. The final point. Take and learn. Take my yoke upon you. Don't take the yoke of rules and regulations. Don't take the yoke of the ways of this world. Don't take the yoke of living for the pleasures of this earthly temporary place. Take my yoke, take my ways, take my life, take my teaching upon you and learn from me. For I'm humble, I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, now something I I never saw before (laughs) is that in 11, 28, Jesus says, "I, I will give you rest. I will rest you. I will mercy you. I will grace you. There's no work that you can do. It's a gift. It's from me. All you do is come to me and you get rest. You get this salvation. But in verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle in my heart, and you will what? He doesn't say I will give you. He says you will what? You'll find rest. In other words, there's something we, we must do. And, and, and that, that, that word find is the same word that was used in Luke 15 you know, about the shepherd going out to find his lost sheep, the, the woman lighting the lamp, sweeping the floor to find her lost coin. It's used when the prodigal who was lost is now found. It's the same word used in Matthew 7, 7, when Jesus says, seek and you will find. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now this week as I, as I studied this and thought about it, I, go, I was like, yeah, this is it. Like, this is why so many people who have come to Jesus and he gave them rest, he gave them salvation, this is why so many are still restless. Like they come to church, they sing the songs, they lift their hands, they nod their heads. They may even fill out Steve's outline. But their soul is still restless, full of doubts and uncertainty and fear. Question, why have they not found rest for their souls? Because they've never really taken the yoke of Jesus upon them. Taking his teaching and lifestyle upon him and learn from him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now that word learn is important. It's similar to the word used in the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples. Now understand, what Jesus is saying is that when you learn and live out what it means to be my disciple, then you'll have rest for your souls. Do you see the great invitation? In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, there's actually two invitations. 
The first is an invitation to salvation. Invitation for God to rest you, to God to salvation you, for, for God to grace you, for God to mercy you. I will give you rest. I'll give it to you. It's a gift. Just come to me. And the second invitation is the invitation to the churchy word sanctification, the restoration, the God working in us so that we live the life we we're created to live, so that we live that abundant life. Of John 10, 10, I've come that it may have life and have it to the full. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Take my ways and my teachings upon you. See, the finish line is not coming to salvation. The finish line is not the baptistry. That's the starting line. And God gives you and I rest. But sometimes our souls are so restless because we never decided to come under the yoke of our rabbi. Under his ways and teaching. Then we have, we're not restless. We're restful. Two invitations. Two great invitations. They said, for my yoke. My yoke's not like their yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And, and that word easy doesn't mean Effortless but rather that my, my yoke is appropriate. Uh, my, my yoke fits well. But, like, my, my yoke is not like the lo- yoke of religion. My, my yoke is not like the yoke of this world in pursuing pleasures and possessions. No, my yoke is easy. Because it's a yoke that leads to the life you were always created to live as people created in the image of God. That's why it's easy. That's why it fits. He goes, hey, this is who you are. Before sin messed everything up, this is who you are. This is who you meant to be. Take it on you and you'll have rest for your souls. Yes, my yoke is easier than a yoke of rules and laws and regulations of men. My yoke is easier than living for the pleasures of this world. My yoke is easier than living for yourself and making it all about you. I like what this dude named J.C. Ryle wrote in 1856 in his commentary. No doubt there is a cross to be carried if we follow Christ. No doubt there are trials to endure and battles to be fought. But the comforts of the gospel far outweigh the cross. Compared to the service of this world in sin, compared to the yoke of Jewish ceremonies and the bondage of human desires, Christ's service is the highest sense, easy and light. His yoke is no more a burden than feathers are to a bird. His ways are pleasantness and his path are peace. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened give you rest. I'll rest you. I'll salvation you. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Take my ways and my teachings upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle. I'm not going to beat you up. And humble heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Question. Why would anyone back then listening to Jesus Refuse this gift invitation of salvation. Why would they? 
Why would anyone listen to Jesus refuse this gift of sanctification, of being restored to the image of God? Not really sure, but most did. (laughs) Uh, Like most still do today. This week, I was reminded that sometimes there are things going on that you're not quite aware of. But when you find out what's going on, you suddenly have a sense of urgency. Uh, Friday, I, 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 I throw these little, little shock stuff into the baptistry. I notice the baptistry, well, it needs a little bit more water. Now, now, once before, years and years ago, I, I like forgot about the water, and so I set alarms to remind myself. I didn't do that. Start filling up, go back. I have no idea how long. Working, and it, it's, there's a problem. I know nothing about it. I go, hey, you know, I, I, I think I'll go, let me go heat that food in the microwave. I walk out the door, and I see a waterfall <laughs> falling out of the baptistry, into the electrical room. Like, we, we have our baptistry, and we put our electrical panel right by that wall. That was a really great design. And it's just flooding. And you may not know this, but whoever built this church decided, let's not have a baptistry that drains. Let's have a drain that fakes you out and goes nowhere. And so you can't drain it. So what we have to do when you drain it is you have, we have to, you know, when, you, when I clean it, I, I throw in a submersible pump. And suddenly... Though it was already going on, I had a sense of urgency. I mean, I'm grabbing this submersible pump. I'm finding an electric cord. I'm hooking up a hose. I'm kicking off the, 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 the drain cover in the bathroom. It's going in there. And I'm going, but, and, and, and see, because you got the little overflow like in a tub. And, 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 well, this one just floods out. And I'm like, until I get it below that, the flood exists. So I grab my bucket. So I grab this bucket, and, and I'm, I'm dipping it in the bathroom, and I'm running into the bathroom. Water's slashing everywhere. I'm throwing it. First, I throw it in the sink. The sink didn't drink fast enough. And then I go, let me throw it in the toilet. I throw it in the toilet, right? Back and forth. I must have done 20 buckets. Got to get that down. This is urgent. I got to do it. I can't wait. There's no time to wait. The railing got really slippery. And so I'm coming out this bucket. I fall down the stairs. And I'm laying on the ground. I go, oh, man, that really hurt. But I, I can't be hurt right now. There's no time. I got to get up. So I kept bailing and bailing and bailing. And, and, and then I wind up with a wet back, crawling in little holes, sucking in water, breathing in uh, insulation, and, and uh, going to the food line to get some air blowers, right? You know, throwing in you know, you know, uh, fabulosa so maybe smell better. I don't know. And, and, and well, I met with a guy on, on Friday. He goes, I bet you'll find a way to use that in the sermon. I go, you know what? <laughs> a sense of urgency, right? The Hebrew writer talks about in Hebrews chapter 2 that, let me just read it, and, and we're about done, but that was fun. I wish I had a video of it. Here, here is what the Hebrew writer writes. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore 
this great salvation. The salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributing according to his will. We need a sense of urgency about accepting this invitation. I got an invitation that's going to pop up on the screen, I believe. Do I have it? Is there a picture? What? Okay. I love it. I love when the plan comes together. Okay. There's a beautiful slide, actually in color. And it says, come to me all you weary burden, I'll give you rest, the great invitation, RSVP. Anybody know what RSVP means? It's respondez, see we play? <laughs> Joe has to have to say it, man, Joe. You know, respond, respond if you please. And, and with this, if you were looking at the slide, so God has given you an invitation. Maybe it's for rest and salvation. Maybe it's for restoration. And and you're, you're really, what you're doing, you're going to either accept or decline. And I want to encourage you today to say yes to the invitation. For him to rest you or to take his yoke upon you and learn from him and find rest for your souls. Amen? God, we love you. God, thank you for your word. Lord, the richness of your word is just, it's incredible. God, I thank you for the truth. I thank you for these powerful words that Jesus shared. And God, I thank you that, that we don't have to wander in life and wander in life because we have a chosen and precious cornerstone. And Father, I pray that as we sing this song, God, as we prepare our hearts to remember your sacrifice, that we just celebrate our cornerstone and put our hope in, in you and nowhere else. Holy Spirit, please apply your truth to our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.